What do the experts advise on how to forgive? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Frederick Luskin from the Stanford Center on Conflict and Negotiation in Stanford, California, and author of the books Forgive for Good and Forgive for Love. Dr. Luskin, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. Tell us, what feedback have you received about your book, Forgive for Good? At the beginning, forgiveness was a much harder sell than it is now. When we started this research, it was considered kind of unusual that people would come to me and say, hmm, you're working at Stanford. Don't they tend to do like topics that are like more real than forgiveness? Or isn't that like a major research university? I don't get this forgiveness piece. And so when my stuff first came out, it was met with a degree of skepticism. And the reason my book became successful was that we had done research on forgiveness and showed that it worked and were able to show some modest health benefits. Now, forgiveness is is a much more culturally acceptable question or answer, and I get less pushback. I I wrote a second book about forgiveness called Forgive for Love, which is about how to apply forgiveness to a couple relationship. And that was the first book like that done in a secular manner in, in in a very long time. So the climate now is much more open than it was 11, 12 years ago. Two reasons for that that I can think of. One is, in psychology, there's this whole movement called positive psychology, which is what people can do, not just what they can't do. And there's been a a greater confluence between religion and science. And so both of those have allowed uh, what the work that I do to be much more available. And an example would be that you're calling me to find out about how to discuss forgiveness in a show designed for physicians. Tell us about the four stages of forgiveness. That was an attempt to make apparent what we found people just naturally doing. So the first stage of forgiveness is unforgiveness, which is, you know, my brother-in-law lied to me, therefore he's a bum. Or my mother didn't love me enough, therefore I need to punish her. That first stage of forgiveness is unforgiveness, and it's painful but it feels righteous. It's, they did me wrong, therefore I feel bad, and therefore somebody's got to pay. The second stage of forgiveness is that you get some peace or relinquishing of that negativity occasionally or randomly. So, you know, you're hating your brother-in-law or you're hating your mother or, you know, you're feeling really disappointed in something you've done. And every now and then you get some peace or it goes down or it's not quite so difficult. And you get moments of, wow, I don't have to hold on to this or there are other ways to do it. So episodically, you start finding yourself being less agitated. The third step is you try to make that conscious, which is, well, if I do this, then I won't have to suffer so much. Or if I practice this, then the next time I go visit my mother-in-law, I won't be, you know, I won't have an ulcer. And that's the third stage where it becomes a concentrated attempt to get over it. And the fourth stage is a kind of philosophical understanding that people are going to disappoint you at times, and you want to almost practice 
the kind of things that allow you to be forgiving just as a general life task. So somebody cuts you off in the freeway, you just know that every now and then there's going to be difficult things that happen when driving. Somebody lies to you, you just know that by being in relationship with people, stuff is going to happen. And so the fourth step is becoming a forgiving person, not necessarily that it's related to just one specific thing. Have you found that people who know that they're at the end of their life have a greater capacity to forgive? The research shows that as you get older, there tends to be more of a willingness to forgive. I don't know about people who say, who say are terminal or you know, have a very short period of time to live. But there is some demographic research that shows pretty clearly that younger people are not as open to this as older people and that it is a demarcation point somewhere in middle age where it really starts to shift. Is your approach secular or spiritual? Well, I would say it's mostly secular, but there are some qualities in it that some people would call spiritual. So one of the things we try to emphasize in our training of forgiveness is a little teaching about gratitude and compassion. That part of what a forgiving person does is they put their suffering in context. Part of the ways that you put it in context are being grateful for some of the things you have, which goes alongside of being frustrated with the things you don't have. So. If you're working with a couple, and again, now that is what I'm working with a bit more because of the book I just wrote, but if you're working with a couple, then it's not just about the way my wife didn't you know, treat me right. It's about, well, 75% of the time she's treating me really well, and how do I handle the parts that she's not? The other piece that helps put it into context is a compassion piece where you become aware that... Just about everybody who's ever lived has been hurt. And you want to be very careful to not exaggerate yours to the point of not seeing the pain in other people. So, you know, those are fuzzy between secular and spiritual. I will say that the methodology we use is secular. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Dr. Frederick Luskin, author of Forgive for Good and Forgive for Love, discussing how to forgive. Dr. Luskin, do you have a forgiveness success story? We have a lot of them. You know, the funny part is What got me started in this business was, for myself, a forgiveness success story, that that I had had a very close friend who had betrayed me, and after a number of years of really being miserable, I made my peace, and we became very good friends again. For people who talk to me, I mean, for good or for bad, the world has no end of people who have been hurt by other people, and it can be a little daunting to sit with it. I'll tell you, one of them, though, was from our work in Northern Ireland. We have brought three groups of people from Northern Ireland, from both sides of that violence, to Stanford to be given forgiveness training. And one of the things that we did with them the first time is we brought six, I think six people, who had had children murdered. And they were from both sides of the violence, Catholic and Protestant. 
And those six people came, and one of them went back to Northern Ireland, and then we brought, I think, 17 people the second time, each of whom who had had people murdered. And in the second group was the daughter of one of the people who had come the first time. And when she got here, that woman, the daughter, told us very straightforwardly she was thanking us for giving us her mother back, that the murder of her brother had occurred almost 20 years earlier, and it wasn't until the forgiveness work that we had done that she felt that her mother had experienced more peace from that from what we had taught her. That's a graphic example, but I think that's what you were asking for. Yes, thank you. Summarize what you do, for example, with Stanford Northern Ireland Hope Project, and in a nutshell, how how you train these people to be able to forgive. Actually, we, we do a pretty similar thing no matter what the offense or hurt is. Part of it is that we teach people to kind of take responsibility for how they're feeling and not to blame the past. So what we do is we teach people, again, how to be relaxed, calm, and peaceful as a kind of stress management thing whenever they think of the person who hurt them. So instead of indulging their negativity, we say, the next 20 times you think of your mother-in-law or you think of your brother do a stress management practice, such as deep belly breathing or positive emotion or tense and relax. And then, therefore, you will be kind of deconditioning the stress response that you have conditioned to a specific problem. So if people don't like their mothers or they don't like their mother-in-law, every time they think of their mother, they have a stress response we teach them to decondition that so that they can have more freedom. That's one thing we teach everybody. A second thing we teach everybody is we teach them to change the narrative or the story they tell about what happened so that it's not a narrative of victimhood, it's a narrative of kind of overcoming. And that we teach everybody and we give them guided practice in that. A third, as I mentioned before, is that we teach everybody some gratitude and compassion practices so they put whatever suffering they have into a little bit of context. And the fourth thing that we, again, use with everybody is we give a very mild and teachable form of cognitive reframing or disputation, which is very simple psychotherapeutic practice, referring to unenforceable rules that... We have these expectations for other people or for life that are not up to us. And an unenforceable rule is any time you have an expectation or a demand for something that you don't control, you set yourself up for a lot of suffering. How successful is this training? We've done, I think, 10 research projects on it, or 11, and each have been as successful Let me give you an example of a practical application of this, and then you can get a sense of what I mean by this. We we go into business. Like, we recently went into Ameriprise, which used to be called American Express Financial Services, and we taught them a combination of forgiveness training and stress management training for just life, you know, like whatever happens, you have to learn to let it go and forgive it. We've done this now seven times we've gone in, each time we have been able to show that 
the people who go through our stress management and forgiveness trainings, they show about a 25% increase in sales. That is that they sell more product than the people who don't go through it. And they also show about a 20% decrease in stress. Dr. Luskin, thank you so much for joining us to discuss how to forgive. You're very welcome. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD Library. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Randall Betts from Shriners Hospital in Philadelphia. You are listening to the first national radio channel created specifically for medical professionals. Reach MD XM 157.